Welcome to Musicians versus the World. Today is June 19th, and if you're in the United States, that means we have a new national holiday. Today is the very first Juneteenth National Independence Day. And it's not every day that a country gets a new national holiday, and so this is cause for celebration. A quick history, Juneteenth National Independence Day commemorates the day that the news of the Emancipation Proclamation reached the last of the enslaved people in the Confederacy. So this means that it was finally the actual end to slavery in the United States. And this holiday is meant for Americans to reflect on the past and learn from it and to honor those that have suffered. So in honor of our newest official national holiday, I want to give you my listeners, recommendations of three classical pieces to listen to on Juneteenth. I will tell you about them here, and then you'll be able to find more information about them, as well as links to recordings of those pieces in the episode's show notes on our website. So let's get started. Recommendation number one, Harriet Tubman, When I Crossed That Line to Freedom, by Dr. Nkiru Okoye. Harriet Tubman, When I Crossed That Line to Freedom, made its premiere on February 21st, 2014, at the Irondale Center in Brooklyn, New York, and it received great reviews. It's a two-act opera that incorporates African-American musical styles such as gospel and spirituals and blues and creates a beautiful and seamless harmonic language. And through that harmonic language, Dr. Okoye tells the story of how Harriet Tubman grew from a girl born into slavery to a conductor on the Underground Railroad, helping many slaves escape to freedom. What I found especially profound in this opera was Dr. Okoye's storytelling. I, as the observer, was pulled into the very intimate portrait of a larger-than-life person. The audience watches Harriet Tubman as she changes from the young child that she calls herself Minty to the adult Harriet, to Harriet Tubman, a free woman, to Moses, the liberator of slaves. But instead of being spoon-fed drama through visual spectacle and like larger-than-life over-dramatization, the audience becomes invested through character and through music. The music itself becomes the scenery and the narrator, helping to establish not only where a scene takes place, but the changes in the music are also used as a tool to represent the passage of time and characters aging and growing. The story itself is told through the context of a family that loves each other, they laugh together, and they try to stay together under extraordinarily difficult circumstances. The feelings that these family members feel towards each other are universal, so even if you can't directly relate to the harsh reality in which they lived, you can relate to the feelings that the family members have for each other. And by showcasing and focusing on those relationships, the audience becomes invested in Harriet the person, not just the historical figure. And that's what makes the sad moments even sadder and the scary moments even more tense and her accomplishments and sacrifices even more poignant.
Recommendation number two, Tree Manisha by Scott Joplin. Now, even if you're not a pianist, I know you've heard of Scott Joplin. Or if you haven't, I know you've heard his music. I've had plenty of students take up piano lessons just so that they can learn to play the entertainer. And Joplin is very well known and is respected as a composer, at least in the piano world. His ragtime music is usually the starting point for piano teachers to teach their students about the Harlem Renaissance and his music's influence on jazz and popular music and music of the 20th century in general. Now, around the turn of the 20th century, American classical music was struggling to find its voice. Composers didn't want to be just cheap imitations of European composers, and they were looking for something quintessentially American. Now, the composer Dvorak and a few of the other composers and scholars believed that African-American music was the future of American music. And he was quoted as saying this, quote, I am now satisfied that the future music of this country must be founded upon these melodies. This must be the real foundation of any serious and original school of composition to be developed in the United States. In them, I discover all that is needed for a great and noble school of music. They are pathetic, tender, passionate, melancholy, solemn, religious, bold, merry, gay, or what you will. It is music that suits itself to any mood or any purpose. There is nothing in the whole range of composition that cannot be supplied with themes from this source. And in fact, Scott Joplin's goal with his ragtime music was to reframe folk music as art music, just like Brahms had done with the Hungarian dances and Chopin did with the mazurkas and Beethoven with his German dances. He wanted to do that with American folk music as well. And he tried to do that in his rags. And he actually took it a step further. He went a step further by creating a truly new form of opera that used traditional Wagner-style bel canto singing fused with traditional black rhythms and folk styles. So for Juneteenth, I recommend you listen to Scott Joplin's opera entitled Tremonitia. Tremonitia takes place in 1884, and a young educated woman helps her community, and she helps prevent them from being swindled by superstitious conjurers, and she ends up being the community's leader. And historically, it's been praised for its message of civil rights, women's rights, and the value of education. So when you first listen to this score, you may not really have a strong reaction to it. And that's because it's nothing new to us now in 2021. We've had influences of ragtime music in our popular musical language and culture for decades now. And so when you listen to this, you'll hear moments that sound like a traditional opera aria. And then in the next moment, there's a ragtime dance number and you sit there and you try to wrap your head around it. Well, is this is this opera? Is this European or is this ragtime? Like, what is this? You try to want it. You want to put it into a box. And that's the whole point of this is that Joplin wanted to have a traditional opera with jazz influences and he wanted to meld the two. And so when you're watching this or when you're listening to this, you have to stop trying to categorize it and put it and trying to stop putting it into a neat little box. You have to appreciate it for what it is as an entirely new form of American opera that blends both styles. And then you really start to appreciate how Joplin interspersed the two styles into one opera. And you have to remember that this was written over a hundred years ago by one of the composers that put ragtime into the popular ear. And he struggled his entire life for his music to be taken as serious art music. 
Unfortunately, Joplin never lived to see his opera performed in its entirety. He self-funded a concert read-through with himself accompanying on the piano, but it didn't go well, and then he struggled for the last few years of his life to get the opera performed. Trimonisha was largely forgotten until the 1970s, when it finally had its world premiere through the music department of Morehouse College and the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. Joplin's original orchestrations had been lost, and so other composers had to take his piano score and figure out orchestrations using that. But it went over extremely well, and Joplin was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Music for Trimonisha in 1976, well over 50 years after his death. This opera has been seen as a valuable record of rural Southern Black music from the 1870s and 1890s, recreated by a skilled and sensitive participant who actually lived through that period. And that makes it valuable in itself, but it's also just really fun to listen to. And for my third recommendation, Go and listen to any of the music that was composed by Thomas Wiggins, who also went by the stage name Blind Tom. Now, Thomas Wiggins was a piano prodigy, and during the 19th century, he was one of the most famous American performing pianists in the world. And his story is tragic and worth remembering on Juneteenth. He was a slave, and he was born blind, and it's widely believed that he was autistic. He couldn't really communicate his own thoughts well, but he had an immense gift for listening and for recreating sound. And he had an extraordinary gift for music in general. And once this gift was discovered, it was nurtured. And then unfortunately, it was exploited by his slave owners and his guardians. And he wrote his first composition at age five. He started touring at age eight. And at age 10, he gave a concert at the White House for then President James Buchanan. He was an absolute international sensation. And people came from far and wide to watch him play. And he made an extraordinary amount of money, especially for the time. But the money raised in his concerts not only made his slave owners rich, but it also helped fund the Confederacy during the Civil War. And Thomas never got to see any of that money. And to listen to this music now, it just highlights the sad irony of his life, that his gift was used to raise money for the very society that was keeping him enslaved. So on Juneteenth, I recommend that you listen to one of his original compositions entitled The Battle of Manassas. Musically, the Battle of Manassas is an interesting piece to listen to because it showcases Wiggins' extraordinary gift for sound and the replication of that sound. In fact, he would have, in his concerts, he would have musicians or people from the audience come and compose a piece or play a piece that had not been published yet. And Blind Tom only had to listen to them play this piece one time and he could play it back exactly the way that the audience member had played it, even getting all of their nuances and their little mistakes absolutely perfectly. And his his uncanny ability to recreate sound is evident in this piece that he has written. The Battle of Manassas is an eight minute long piece that musically tells the story of the first Confederate victory in the Civil War. 
So Wiggins' slave owner's son was in the army, and when he came home from battle, he told the story of this battle in detail at dinner. And Wiggins was fascinated by the story, and then he retold it musically in this piece with everything from the marching of the soldiers' feet to the cannon fire to the fife and drums. And it's all very descriptive writing, and it's very forward-thinking because he used tone clusters where you just kind of slam your hand on as many keys as you possibly can. And he used that to recreate the cannon fire and used techniques that wouldn't be used by composers for another 50 years. So I hope that these three pieces are just the beginning of your treasure hunt in our American musical heritage and the richness that African-American composers have added to it. And if you want to listen to more, you can check out composers like William Grant Still, Florence Price, Margaret Bonds, Jeffrey Mumford, Winston Marcellus, and so many incredible composers that have helped shape and are continuing to shape American classical music. And that's not even beginning to scratch the surface on jazz and popular music and all the composers that have helped shape the arts and American culture in general. So enjoy the music, support the artists any way that you can, and have a very happy and thoughtful Juneteenth. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Sound Music. In today's episode, you heard excerpts from the pieces entitled Nothing But the Grave and I Am Harriet Tubman from the opera Harriet Tubman When I Crossed That Line to Freedom. A special thanks to Dr. Nkiru Okoye for her permission to share her musical recordings today. You can find more information on this opera on Dr. Okoye's website, nkiruokoye.com. That's N-K-E-I-R-U-O-K-O-Y-E dot com. You also heard The Entertainer by Scott Joplin, as well as A Real Slow Drag from the opera Tree Manisha. Finally, you've heard Water in the Moonlight and The Battle of Manassas by Thomas Wiggins. Links to all of these pieces, as well as the websites where you can find more information about all of these composers can be found in today's show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in these pieces, share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any topics you'd like to be discussed or questions about music or musician life that you'd like answered, be sure to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. Thanks so much. <laughs>